This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas. Uh, I should say Te Amo. Te Amo, I love you, if you remember. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a, almost two weeks, I think, since my last show. Uh, it's, I think it's been since uh, DeSantis sent the plane, which now seems like forever ago because the news cycle is relentless and insane uh, when he sent that um, that plane to uh, Martha's Vineyard and uh, the kind, loving leftist at Martha Vi- Martha's Vineyard um, greeted those folks with a, 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 the National Guard and a bus out of town. <laughs> But they said te amo. Well, they hugged themselves um, because they they love they love you. Uh, just they don't love you in their neighborhood. I guess is the rule. Um, but what I've been on the road working very hard uh, for Vulnerable People Project. It's been a busy busy couple of weeks. We're preparing uh, to meet head on to collide head on with the coming famine that is barreling down on Afghanistan, with a special attention to the widows and orphans of. The uh, the war that you know there was a there was a war for twenty basically there's been a war since 1970s 1971 I guess um, there are a lot of widows and orphans and uh, we want to make sure that uh, we can provide as many widows and orphans with food as we can in the coming famine but also of course we had the opening of our women's medical clinic a couple of weeks ago uh, we're going to begin building a 28 mile road to a very isolated community that suffers severe food insecurity in the coming weeks. But the big news for us is that so many of those Afghan allies that fought side by side of us and religious minorities who are facing extreme persecution, so many of them have been brought to the, brought to Canada and the United States last week and this week. And that has kept us, as you can imagine, very busy tomorrow. I am, I'm jumping on a plane because uh, I'll mention this in the show. And I say it at the end of the show, um, there's a young two-year-old boy that was separated from his parents when his grandmother was carrying him and the bomb exploded at Abbey Gate, separating grandma and baby from mom and dad. And uh, mom and dad were pulled by MPs onto the airport grounds where grandma and baby were swept away by the mass crowd. You know, there were 170 Afghans killed, you know, thousands wounded, you have to imagine, um, in the chaos. And we have been providing food and baby formula and fuel for baby and grandma and family since December. But with a lot of hard work and with the help of the U.S. State Department and by God's grace, this two-year-old boy and his aunt arrive tomorrow and I will be there for that. You can probably hear in my voice, I am, I am a bit exhausted. I'm a bit tired. I just got in at 2 a.m. today and I will be... Uh, gone by 5 a.m. Uh, tomorrow, but that is, uh, it's going to be a great day, and we're also going to be in D.C. for a couple of days following up on um, visas for several other Afghan allies that are in Pakistan, so, uh, but today we have on the great John Zmirak. He was boot- booted off of Twitter, and you're probably asking the same question I'm asking. How in the world has John Zmirak been allowed on Twitter for this long? Like, he should have been the very, very first guy I mean, it should have been like they kicked off John's Mirac, and then they should have worked their way 
to the minister of Farrakhan and Alex Jones. But for some reason, um, maybe because uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know how John lasted this long, but he was kicked off. So we talked about John, about this, about what happened in Italy, about governor DeSantis and the, the, um, the 50 migrants that went to, uh, the 50 migrants that went to, um, Martha's Vineyard. And I just want to say this is the guy that runs VPP. If you send 50 migrants to my house, my wife, children, and I would have that situation under control in about 90 minutes. I promise you, this would be very easy. They would all be cared for quite well. Their needs would be addressed. Their legal, we would, we would have, we would be addressing their legal situations, their health problems, uh, where they're going to stay, how they're going to eat. That we would handle that. I wouldn't even complain because that is kind of like my, what my life is every day, but just in much more challenging places all over the world. I'd be like, this is great. For once, it's in my neighborhood. I can do this from my own home. It happened to be the same day of the Canelo fight. So the first thing I would have done is I'd have gotten all the men single men on a bus, I'd have said, single mothers with babies, um, come in the house with, with kids, with my wife and kids. How many is that going to be? 20? Single men, come with me. i call the Knights of Columbus, guys, and I'd say, can you get the Canelo fight at the Knights of Columbus Hall? Let's put the Canelo fight on, get some Dos Equis, and uh, let's cater some food, some great Tex-Mex, Tex, uh, Mexican food, barbecue. Let's get barbecue. And then let's get some lawyers in here. Let's take care of their medical. We, this would be so easy to do that I challenge anyone just to do it. Governor DeSantis, send 50 folks to my house so I can show Martha's Vineyard how it's done. Now, now you, everyone knows, and this has been said by others, that I guarantee you there were more than 50 employees at the Obama mansion um, when... Uh, when, when uh, he threw his big birthday bash during COVID that caused all the controversy, there had to be more than 50 employees. And if I was Barack Obama and I heard this news that there were 50 migrants that were flown in, I'd have called Michelle and said, we are going to win another uh, Nobel Prize. This time we're going to earn it. Or this time we're going to earn it. You know they have an army of staff. They probably have more staff on, on hand than 50 people. Think about that. And their foundations are banked, banked. This would have been great. They should have hired publicists, photographers, videographers, but no, they never think to do something themselves. Doing something themselves for somebody else is unheard of. Demanding other people do something and then, and then complaining about the way they're doing it, that's how the left thinks, you know. That's how the left thinks. How do we think? Problem? Okay, I guess it's my, you got a problem, then I got a problem. Let's figure the problem out together. You know, so DeSantis is like, the border states are like, hey, we're being inundated by 250,000 people a month. How about I send you 50, 100? They lose their mind. So, so it's because it's, it's Texas's problem. It's not America's problem. Texas, figure out your problems. That's how they see it. You send 50 people to my house, I got it. That's the easiest, that is the easiest challenge I would have this week. The easiest challenge. In fact, I wouldn't even have to be home. My wife would text me. She'd say, honey, what did you do? What, what did you do? Governor DeSantis sent 50 people to our house. They said on your podcast you challenged him to do it, so he did it. 
you're not even in town. And I say, okay, that, 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 call so-and-so. My wife and I would handle it. This episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement. Go to movietomovement.com and check out our latest movie, Divided Hearts of America. It is on uh, Fox Nation right now. I think this is the last month. So go to Fox Nation and um, you can see uh, Divided Hearts of America. Of course, it's also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. Become a monthly donor. When you become a monthly donor, that's what allows us to budget and grow our programs. It's very important. Monthly donors are the foundation of the work we do. Also, uh, MyPillow, go to MyPillow.com, use the code Jones. And uh, as I call it the FBI special, when you use the code Jones, you get deep discounts on everything. What you want is the robe and the slippers. So when they're pulling you out of your bed at night, you look good. You want the mattress topper and the pillows so you sleep good, so you look fresh. So um, your mugshot looks, looks tight. And the clip that they show on NBC, this, this guy looks well-rested and kind of suave. So go to MyPillow.com, use the code Jones, get the FBI special. Also, the Epic Times, to stay free, you got to stay informed. Go to iReadEpoch.com, use the code Jason Jones for deep, deep discounts. All right, on with my interview with the great Johns Merrick. Sorry about the rant. I've been bubbling about that bus uh, since it happened and wasn't able to do a podcast because it made me so mad. I, it made me so mad that 50 people threw a, the, a rich community into a tizzy. They couldn't help 50 people because they never think to help anybody. They don't help their own nephews, their cousins, their aunts, their own grandma. They're not going to help these 50 people. Get them out of here. Te amo. All right, here we go. John Smear. <laughs> John Smirak, welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Hi, Jason. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, so I've been kind of on an unplanned hiatus, uh, bouncing around the country, doing my, my job, my day job. This is my side hustle. The Jason Jones Show is my side hustle. And um, the news, the big news this week is that the great John Smirak was finally kicked off Twitter permanently. Yeah, I, I had been kicked off twice before under different permutations of my name, and now I think this one is for good. So, so what does that mean? So you, you will never be able to even make a fake account? Like, how does that work? How can they stop you from just creating another account? Well, I would have to – I'm not going to bother creating a fake account and building up thousands of followers again just to get kicked off again. I'm not going to produce profit for Twitter anymore. If they want to kick off all the people who are interesting on Twitter until it's just three trannies trading <laughs> recipes for vegan apple bread, then they can go ahead and do it. But you know what? This gives me back hours of time every day that I was wasting on the hive mind. No, that's true. Now, I quit Twitter years ago. And when I was in high school, if I had a girlfriend, when I had girlfriends, and, and I thought they were going to dump me, I would dump them before they could dump me. You know, if I, I sense the breakup coming, I'd have to sit him down and say, you know, I just don't think things are working out. I had to have that talk with Twitter several years ago. I said, yeah, the thing is, though, your girlfriends were not part <laughs> of a totalitarian <laughs> world state. 
How do you know? You don't even know that. They may have been. They, they may, they have, may have been. been. I, I'm not sure that they were or weren't. But either way, I broke up with Twitter before Twitter could break up with me. And I'm shocked that you and Twitter were able to last this long together. Yeah, I was too. And, and, and of course, it's not any particular thing I said. They, they didn't identify something I had done. Um, someone who's still on Twitter tracked it. And there's this, this guy with, a, of course, a Ukrainian flag and his pronouns, who is a pro-abortion and gay and trans activist who spends his life getting people like me banned, building up dossiers on them and reporting them to Twitter so they can be silent. I want to volunteer in Twitter. What, what does that guy do for lunch break? Does he go to Whole Foods and eat alone no. with his mask on and he pulls his mask down in between bites? Or does he eat a salad at home? I, I think I, he uses his EBT card to buy bags of pork rinds and eats <laughs> them in the children's section of the wrong. public library eyeing the kids. I, I, I think you Definite might. groomer. I, Definite think, groomer. I think he's not eating pork rinds. I'm thinking he's vegan. <laughs> Almost anorexic. <laughs> I think he hates food. I think he lives off of, of coffee and um, he might buy the produce they're about to throw out so he can get it on, on a deal. And tofurkey. Tofurkey. This this is what I think. I'm I'm going to do some research on this guy to see who's right. I just am betting he's a vegan. Well, of course he doesn't have. A, it's not a real name. It's just a made up anonymous handle. I love how anonymous people can get people who write under their real names banned. It reminds me of when an anonymous Catholic integralist called me a coward for writing under my own name. Right. Did you ask them for their real name? I mean, if they were so courageous, they would. What are these people afraid of? What are, like, look, I'm I'm a nobody, I, I, but I'm out here in my own name saying controversial yeah. things, doing controversial things that are, I don't even know why they're controversial. Um, your dog agrees. The Beatles agree. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you should yell at you. You know, I think for those trolls listening, you need to add to the dossier, John Zmerak raises his voice at the Beagles. That's about the extent of what I do to them. Otherwise, they run me like a train. <laughs> no, I mean, do you think? I think it could be a little traumatic. I don't think you should raise your voice at your vehicles. You know I, should re I should reason with them. I should deductively reason with them through a, through a syllogism. That'll work. I think you chastised me once when I bought my dog a box that when he barked, it would spray lemon juice in his face. That's right. That's cruel. And you yelled at me for that. My dog, these two dogs, poor things, when I got them, because they're rescued, their necks were raw from an electronic shock collar. Eesh. So yeah, somebody, so, so what is that? They put a collar around them, so when they bark, they get a zap? And to these dogs' credit, it didn't stop them. The, the they Harrison, kept barking anyway. The Harrison Bergeron of beagles. It just yeah, made them stronger. Dogs, it just made them stronger. They almost... They almost burn their own heads off rather than ceasing to sing the song of their people. Okay, I want to discuss Twitter with you. All right. Um, first of all, let me ask you this, John. Why do you write? Before we get to why were you on Twitter, why do you write? Well, you know, I was on a panel for this wonderful Christian group called Christians Engaged. Uh, it tries to teach civic involvement to, to Christians. And uh, the IRS took away its tax exemption at first, saying that Bible reading and Christianity are usually associated with the Republican Party. Therefore, you're not nonpartisan. 
that was such a dumb letter written by some really dopey IRS employee that they were able to challenge it with the help of Senator they, Ted Cruz and get it overturned. They wrote that letter four years too soon. I mean, that letter That's is right. for four years from now. You can write that letter in four that years. That is, yeah, exactly. Um, so I was, I was giving a talk there, and they asked, well, how, where do you come up with your ideas for what, for what you write about at stream.org? And I said, I read the news all day until I get angry enough and then the thing that I'm angry about, I read a column, and then I feel better. So, so is it, it do you is, write with the hope of making the world a better place? Do you write with the hope yeah. of, do you write out of a sense of gratitude and response and duty uh, because you've been blessed and you want to pass this on to our posterity? Yeah, and, and I, I write because certain things just have to be said. And I, I, I want to stick up for the underdog. I was maybe the first conservative after January 6th to write about what a farce the whole in, insurrection narrative was. On January 7th, I wrote that it would take a man with a heart of stone not to laugh when a guy in Viking horn sits in Nancy Pelosi's chair. Um, I was... You did. And I'm like, I agree with John, but why does he have to write this? Also with Nick Sandman. You I was one of the you, first, you were, first people to defend first, Nick Sandman. You were the first. Maybe. Wow. Yeah, no. I was the first. one of the Kyle first Rittenhouse, to, the first. Kyle Rittenhouse, I was one yes. of the first. I was the, when Mark Judge was being targeted by the left as as the as the, the patsy as the patsy to try to destroy Brett Kavanaugh, I reached out to Mark Judge and found out nobody was helping him. We put him in touch with the Legal Foundation. We got him writing for us at the stream. I, I helped encourage him. And now he's finished a new book, The Devil's Triangle. You've got to get him on your podcast to talk about his new book. I mean, look, this is all evidence on why you should have been kicked off Twitter a long time ago. I just, That's right. Dear Twitter, I'm going to write them a letter. Dear Twitter, why did you put up with John Zmirak for so long? You have been standing the, up against the hive mind and the mob. You have been getting between the mob and the scapegoat for way too long. And I don't know why they allowed you to persist. Yeah. I was the second person to write about Jake Gardner, who was driven to suicide by a rogue Soros prosecutor in Omaha, Nebraska, for defending himself against one of the George Floyd rioters. I was second to Ann Coulter. God bless her. She was first. But um, my aim is to be with the first responder to, uh, on behalf of scapegoats of our monstrous Leviathan system. People, Americans need to realize this is not your dad's, Amer your father's America. This is your father's red China. Our media, our propaganda outlets of an increasingly totalitarian global system. And you need to support the people doing Samizdat. Uh, publications like The Stream and American Greatness and Revolver News and Epoch Times, broadcasts like Real America's Voice, especially Steve Bannon's War Room, these are like the BBC broadcasting into occupied France. And you need to support them. You need to listen to the BBC before the Nazis come and take your radio away. Yeah, but they're lo so. This is the point. I don't know why you were on Twitter. So that's I want. So now we know you were 
you write, why did you feel the need to stay on Twitter for so long? It was kind of fun. I mean, I'm isolated. I, I work at home. I don't see people very much. Um, it, was, it was kind of a, a form of connection. And also it was a good news source because I could follow all the writers I liked and see what they were saying. And, oh, well, I would hear about the latest outrage, like the raid on Mark Houck's house because he jostled a pro-abortion protester a year ago and 35 FBI agents in body armor with AR-15s descend on his house and terrorize his wife and seven children. Um, I would, you know, I would see that on there and then I would write something about it for the stream. So it was a source of information, but you know, now I'm still on Gab and Getter and those are good sources of information. So I can continue to follow news, but yeah, I used Twitter as a news source, but then I would, you know, occasionally spout off on things. Now, now Marilis Pinheiro, who is the diplomatic liaison for, uh, my organization, the vulnerable people project. She just, she always is smiling and she's very combative, but just always joyful. And she has all of these trolls that follow her and just, just hate her and how uh-huh. they hate her. I don't even know. And she just reads me these tweets and she laughs and she laughs. And there are a whole like groups of, uh, I don't know all the genders. What are the, what are the folks that don't have sex? They're the, um, the, the Irish, the genderless, uh, you know, no gender, asexual. I didn't know that they. Well, I, I didn't know I, they I, were. I would just, I just picture all of these like frigid women. They just follow her, and they're obsessed with this Catholic young woman who is a nun and who advocates traditional morality. And they just lose their mind. And she reads these things they say to to her, and she just laughs and she goes, "I love Twitter." And I'm like, "What do you love about that? I don't want to." If I see these people in line at the grocery store, I go into the other line. I don't even want to be near these people. She just smiles. Did you love the kind of combativeness with the knuckleheads? Andrew no, Breitbart really. used to love that. He just would love no, it. No, no. No, I, I basically collected a lot of people who were somewhat like-minded, and sometimes they would correct me, and they would point out things that I got wrong, and they would recommend books that I could read. And, I, you know, I, I actually learned from those folks. So, you know, if anybody was obnoxious, I would block them instantly. Good first rule. time, first offense, first offense. Good if rule. they were just, if they were just uh, obtuse, I would mute them. So they thought I was listening to them, but, the, but I wasn't. Now, what's going to happen? Because I know, I know because they email me and they message me on how dare I have you on my show. And I'm like, this show exists for me to exploit my relationship <laughs> with John Zmirak too. <laughs> this is what you mean. It's uh, um, John Zmirak, you are, I'm not even going to say, I was about to say a really inappropriate joke. So, okay. um, but uh, I know there are trolls that are going to lose their mind because it's good. They're going to have to get getter accounts. Now here's, what's funny. The people who hate you that were complaining about you, that got you kicked off of Twitter. Now they're going to be forced to go get a getter account. I promise or a be- you a, ga- a gab account. And then they can, they can choke on Andrew Torba's qu- uh, tweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can promise you that there will be hundreds of, of leftists and integralists getting Gab and Getter accounts so you can make them angry. Have you ever figured out why people who hate you follow you? Um, I thought maybe the last spark of sanity that remains in them or their guardian angel is goading them to read something 
and might at some point break the spell and restore them to full, normal, functioning human consciousness. But have you found that some of your most faithful readers are people who absolutely despise you? No, actually. No, I have a lot of fans. No, you have just ordinary fans. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you there are people that listen to this podcast and they email me after every episode and they despise me. And I think, <laughs> I think I'm quite the likable guy. And I don't know what we say that's so angering and irritating to people. But I mean, well, it's interesting. I don't, but I don't experience the thing you're talking about, about hate readers. Um, I, it's like, why do they come to ever, me? Why do they tell I, me they don't like you? I mean, look, everywhere I go, I think, people come up to me and tell me that they love John Smirak and they love my podcast because they love John Smirak and it really hurts my feelings. And then, <laughs> but then I get these emails from people, um, who, and they don't bring you up necessarily. They just don't like yeah. me, but these shows, these episodes can be awful long. And I'm thinking you listen yeah. to two hours and nine minutes of a guy that you do not like. There are a I lot of podcasts to, of people I love 20, that I miss them all the time. Yeah. I don't listen to 20 seconds of something that I dislike. I turn it off immediately. Yeah, it's a good rule. I mean, it seems like <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's well, one of those things you don't even need a rule for. I just say life's too short and so am I. Bye. And it's off. Right. Um, I don't want to shorten my own life through stress. But I do want to shorten the lives of my enemies through stress. So I, yeah, because they'll do less damage. It's like I tell people, I pray for my enemies for their deathbed conversions ASAP. I want my enemies to find Jesus and go meet him like tomorrow and, and get out of the way and stop damaging the world and stop castrating kids and grooming 10 year old boys and promoting reckless wars and helping women get abortions and trying to take away people's guns and, you know, and so on and so on and so on. There are no more compromise issues left. The left insist, the, the left insists that you have to be fully on board with sex change operations for 12 year old kids and seizure of all private firearms and open borders and pornography in public schools, or you're a fascist. So like, I like, wrote the new, like the new prime minister of Italy, we are told is a fascist. And then you go listen That's to her right. speeches and you're like, I guess I'm a fascist too. I think two plus two is four. Right. I'm proud. I like being a man, proud to be an American. I'm a Christian. It's, I, I guess <laughs> it's self-evident now to the, everyone listening that Jason Jones is indeed a fascist. Well, today's column at the stream is America is going fascist in the negative sense. And I think it's important to distinguish fascist in the negative sense from all the senses in which the word fascist is used nowadays. Um, by fascist in the negative sense, I mean totalitarian movements that politicize everyday life, that scapegoat ethnic and racial and religious groups that believe in pointless foreign wars, which of course sounds like the Democrats nowadays. Um, I'm not going to call the Democrats outright fascists, but if they want to, they want to abuse the word they have done to the word fascist, what the Weimar government did to their currency. You need wheelbarrows full of fascism to get a loaf of bread at the store. Um, and so in my the stream, I talk about all the praiseworthy things 
that will get you called a fascist nowadays, like telling a selling, you're selling teenager to finally change his underwear or opposing perverts grooming young children with, with transsexual materials or public school teachers wearing giant prosthetic fake breasts with protuberant nipples uh, to terrorize their 12-year-old pupils or uh, attempted mass shooters who practice Satanism doing drag queen bingo at Christian churches outside of Houston. Basically, what any kind of recognizable human decency, someone about where Bill Clinton was in 1992 is a fascist by current standards. So that, that inflates the word. It, it kind of makes the word meaningless. It's, it's kind of like the word awesome used to meet, be close to awful, full of awe, terrifying. Now awesome means better than average. Man, so our God, is, our God, wait, our God is a better than average God. And that doesn't say exactly what we're trying to say when we say awesome God, you know? So fascism is a word that, that is losing it's historical reference. So we're going to have to come up maybe with another word to describe Mussolini and Hitler and other, I'm trying to think if there are any other tyrants who really literally qualify as fascists. We'll have to come up with another word. Maybe we just have to call them Democrats. Oh, that's, that's good. Well, no, today, if you're a classical liberal, you're a fascist. And if you're a fascist, right. you're a liberal. So the liberals are fascists. The fascists are liberal. I mean, I'm serious. It's all gibberish. It's like the Tower of Babel or the end of that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis where people start speaking gibberish. You made a good point. Bill Clinton was, by their definition, a fascist in 1992. In fact, they all were fascists in 1992. So I think they need to be flogged and and show that they're – and then they need to pay reparations – and they need to show that they've seriously repented of their fascism when they believed in only two <laughs> genders. They didn't think transvestites should read books to kids in libraries. And uh, I think they should repent. And they should tell us how they converted. This was the thought I had. Sure. I had a horrifying thought this week. I thought, imagine if just normal, healthy people were removed from society like you can remove them from Twitter. Just pow. Um, yeah. Think of the total control that they would have. I mean, if you, you have all of these people that... I have never thought about the ever-expanding gender universe. They've never read a book or a study. They've never listened to a debate. They have just moved like birds in a flock. They just doosh, doosh. They're going all over the place together without thinking. And imagine if you could just remove us from society like you can remove us from Twitter, How what you could do with these people. Well, I mean, all you have to do is go to Park Slope or go to San Francisco, and you'll see what society's like when that happens. You, you have a small number of ludicrously rich people surrounded by psychotic hobos, uh, smoking crack, feces uh, all over the sidewalk, uh, jihadists driving around, running people over on the sidewalk. I mean, the blue states are dystopian novels come to life, especially the blue cities. Did you know in San Francisco... They have an app yeah. to report human feces. It's kind of like Waze. It's so that you can avoid 
having to walk through places where the human feces level is so high that it smells like a medieval battlefield. Oh, that's tragic. I thought this was so that like good, uh, good do-gooder leftists could go with plastic bags and gloves and scoop no. it up. This is where you know no. not to go. This is yeah. It's just just like yeah. It's it's like no no. Don't go down that street. The human feces level is so high that you know you may never get your shoes clean again. That's what it is. It's a user map. It's like ways avoiding traffic. That is unbelievable. That sounds like <laughs> patriarchy to me. I mean, you'd have to be. You'd have to have a smartphone to be able to use that app, and so that's awful elitist. And but all they the, give smartphone, but they give smartphones to the homeless and the illegal true. immigrants. You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess is that so they can call their fentanyl dealer. Well, I, I guess where they're coming from is listen. Yes, for the next thirty or forty years, our gated our gated villages will be surrounded, you know, by psychotic homeless people throwing feces at our at our Teslas as we drive through our gates. <laughs> but they're not going to breed and soon they will be gone. And with the great life extension technologies that are coming down, um, we won't have to deal with these people. And pretty soon we will leave our gated villages to uh, utopia. Or they want that. We want it that way. They want to live in the Hacienda. And what's the point of living in the Hacienda if it's not surrounded by a favela? I can't that remember. just highlights how great you have it. And you have someone you can pity. And you can drive your Tesla through it and you can toss EVT cards out the window to you know to the to the surf and watch them scramble for it and feel good about yourself. Oh. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I wanted to interview I have been bouncing around the country like a madman, utterly exhausted, carrying my podcast equipment and never having the energy to do a show. And uh, there was something I wanted to do a show with you on because I really, I, two things happened in the past two weeks since my last podcast that I think signaled the, 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 the death to the globalists. One happened in the United States and one just happened in Italy. In the United States, the genius maneuver of flying 50 migrants, 50 migrants, 50 people is, is, is less than the help at the birthday bash at Barack Obama's party at his mansion yeah. on Martha's Vineyard. That literally, I guarantee you, they had more than 50 staff. Okay, 50 people on a plane, and Martha's Vineyard melts down. Within yeah. 12 hours, I guess, the National Guard arrives yeah. and carts it them off. It was their 9-11. <laughs> but they said Te Amo. I, I, the woman saying Te Amo made it perfect. Te Amo. Uh, bye. I love you when you don't live near me. Go away. Go far, <laughs> far away where I can love you again. Te, te amo. You and, you and I, our column on that was classic, where we talked about we analyze victimism. And victimism is, is, is very, very calculated and specific. It is compassion that is selectively deployed to where it can help accumulate power for an elite that wants to control the world economically, politically, scientifically, uh, in order to establish a utopia. And the, the myth of climate change is the pretext for eliminating democracy, eliminating cash, eliminating privacy, creating eliminating private property. energy deserts, now creating right. food deserts, 
keeping the poor right. without energy. Now with the fertilizers right. and shooting cows like the Khmer Rouge, yeah, and 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 and, 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 the, and the communists in Ethiopia, creating global poverty, and that's and you and I, by the way, uh, um, Rene Girard coined the term victimism, but you and I have been trying to thrust that word into the American imagination for over a decade, and. I I, he, I see it catching on. I I see more and more writers, more and more commentators. You, have you noticed this using the word victimism? No, I'm not. But uh, I must be reading the wrong people. Well, no, it's catching on. And when you faint now, now Bishop Barron literally almost plagiarized one of our. I mean, I think it was plagiarized by his ghostwriter, and they took our article on victimism several years ago, turned it upside down. It was quite bizarre. But um, you know, feigning concern for the vulnerable for power. If you don't have a word for a concept, you can't understand it. And I really believe that young people, and I I see it on my my boys, they show me these TikTok videos. Uh, DeSantis's maneuver was genius because I really think that even though these young people may not have the word victimism yet, they're understanding what they're seeing. That that millions of migrants coming into this country and being exploited, children dying of fentanyl, uh, uh, border communities being crushed, all these Latino communities. Uh, forgive me, I don't want to offend rich white liberals, Latinx um, uh, communities. They can be crushed. Now all, all those Latino communities, are, uh, Mexican communities really, let's be clear, are becoming Republicans this this election cycle. Unbelievable. Yeah, Unbelievable yeah. that the border is going to be solid red. Um, <laughs> young people are waking up to the left's nonsense. And so what I really think that what DeSantis kicked off, even at the Vulnerable People Project, we're gearing up next year to launch an aggressive campaign on how global warming and the and the and the alphabet maneuver, the LGBTQ plus and global warming are designed to disrupt and impoverish, to disrupt and impoverish and actually kill, to use the language of the left, black and brown people in the southern hemisphere. That's exactly what's uh-huh. happening. And the gig is up. And now we just have the new prime minister in in um, in Italy, I think it's Italy, it's, yeah. it's it's the second her speech on how the goal of the uh, of of the globalists is to destroy all of our identities. You're not Ethiopian. You're not Italian. You're not French. You're not Spanish. You're not Catholic. You're not uh, Methodist. You're not Muslim. You're not Hindu. You are. You're not a mother. You're not a father. You're parent one. You're citizen X. Your 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 interchangeable carbon consumer number three million seven hundred and forty two. Yes, and it makes sense. You know why are companies like Target shoving gender ideology down our throats? It's to break apart our identity so that we become the perfect target consumer. And when you yeah. you have what happened in Sweden, what's happening in Italy. You link that to what's happening at the southern border, what's about to happen in Mexico. I really am hopeful that the globalists' back is against the wall. And, you know, we may have George Soros uh, getting pulled out of uh, a hole somewhere by Delta Force in the the coming years. Because I really do believe that they've gone too far. They've caused too much pain and suffering. They're saying, when you have General Milley saying out loud, that the goal in Ukraine is not victory, but a 20-year quagmire. <laughs> You're not supposed to admit that. I mean... <laughs> They're saying es- the quiet part out loud. And especially, those are blonde, blue-eyed people, General Milley. 
right? Like I maybe <laughs> maybe in the past uh you you've said that things about other folks and you've definitely proven you can do it. Look at Iraq and Afghanistan. They've proved that they can destroy communities and create genocides and skip away to a cocktail party. Um the problem is this is their their own country they're threatening to, to do it to. But when 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 people like Eric Swalwell and Joe Biden tell us that they're going to take away our gun rights and it doesn't matter anyway because our AR-15s are no good against their F-15s. I just remember they couldn't, they couldn't beat the goat herds of Afghanistan. They think they're going to be able to impose an authoritarian regime on America and we're just going to roll over and take it? I don't think so. We can make this, Jason, you and I, and everyone like us, we can make this one big Afghanistan. And if we have to, we will. Yeah, and I'll say that. Listen, when you are in an ambush as an infantryman, when you are in an ambush and you're in the kill zone, you face the target in front of you, that's whoever's shooting at you, and you shoot at them while moving toward them to get out of the kill zone mm-hmm. as fast as possible where there are booby traps and claymores, landmines everywhere. And you keep killing the targets in front of you till you are out of the kill zone and you rally at the rally point. And what I see happening mm-hmm. in Sweden, in Italy, what's going to happen in Mexico, what's happening at the southern border, is you just see normal folks like the prime minister in Italy. I'm just a Christian mom. I'm just an Italian Christian mother. And I will not be a slave. Italians will not be slaves. They call her a fascist. As an American, am I supposed to be offended at an Italian um, or an Egyptian or a Colombian who does not want to be a slave to bankers from the East Coast of the United States whose kids <laughs> cut themselves and cry themselves to sleep? Am I? Am I supposed? I am I supposed to think that they're fascists? There is an international cabal of elitists that includes most Ivy League grads and people who go to business school and people who work in the media. It's, it's, it does remind me of Brave New World, where the tiny group of alpha double pluses are an elite privileged class that can exploit and control everybody else as if they were farm animals. Um, I think George Orwell did a great job of exposing fascism and communism in their primitive, brutal stages. But it was it was Aldous Huxley who really predicted the future. And here we are. I mean, and that speech where um, how do you pronounce her name? I keep butchering it. It's it's uh, Maloney. Uh, I pr- think. Prime Minister Georgia Maloney, when she said she quoted G.K. Chesterton. Now you have to appreciate an Italian fascist that quotes an Englishman. It's very he's fascist in the positive. <laughs> it's very nice of her. Um, she uh, she quoted Chesterton, who said, "One day soon, men will draw swords to defend the proposition that two plus two are four. And she says that day has come. That day wow. has come. And I'll you know, tell today you, someone, oh, go ahead, today go ahead. someone on Gab dug up the origin of two plus two equals five, uh, which where Orwell got it. There was a Soviet poster uh, justifying Stalin's five-year plan 
and his claim that he had completed it in four. And on the Soviet poster, it says two plus two equals five. That is the origin of, of the political use of that to refer to totalitarianism. Isn't that interesting? A Soviet Stalinist poster. Well, and Orwell no doubt saw it because he was keenly attuned to what was going on on the left. So that's where he got it for, for 1984. And yet, and here we are. I was just outside the Capitol, I mean, outside the White House visiting Uyghurs who were in the middle of a hunger strike to try to get President Biden to, to come out and address the Uyghur genocide. <clears throat> and a group from Hawaii came up and they were protesting. Uh, these, the Navy has these fuel tanks that sit above the aquifer that have been just leaking uh, thousands of gallons of fuel into the aquifer, making um, the military community, poisoning the water of where the military housing is, causing miscarriages and making women sick. That, that story, which is now an international story, and you can go look, that story broke on the Jason Jones show. Wow. Uh, when State Representative Bob McDermott tried to expose it, a Republican, former head of the Navy League, and now running for the United States Senate. They tried to cover God it up. The left tried to cover it up. Crazy Maisie Hirono and Brian Schatz, Mr. Environmentalist, tried to cover it up. Everyone tried to cover it up. The deep state tried to cover it up. But when State Representative Bob McDermott made so much noise, they couldn't cover it up. They manufactured uh, the Democrats exposing this issue and tried to take co-opt it. Well, here wow. we were in front of the White House, and guess who was taking that issue to the White House and protesting? And they were communists. There were a handful of Hawaiians wow. that they put in front of cameras. And outside, I filmed it all. And outside of the camera shot, with hammers and sickles on the backs of their shirt, were, was some American communist organization directing the native <laughs> Hawaiians saying that end American imperialism, shut down the fuel tanks, da, 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 da. And so here you have a conservative Republican actually concerned about the, the suffering of the people of Hawaii. And then here come these, these schmucks uh, from the mainland who may have never been to Hawaii and trying to use this topic uh, to weaken our country to the benefit of China because China is, is the one country that benefits most greatly from America retreating from the, from the Pacific. So oh, you know, yeah. think about that. We're, we're really, we're really in quite a battle, but I have never been more optimistic. I mean, are you hopeful now? Uh, you know, I'm thinking that whatever emerges from the Mad Max hellscape <laughs> will probably be good. But it w there will be a lot fewer of us. And I don't think I'm one of the people who's going to survive in a Mad Max hellscape unless I am the propaganda minister for a new extremist political party. And just letting it out, letting it be known that I, I will be available for such work because it's all I'll be able to do in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. Well, you, you but, could um, put me down as a reference. You should maybe go on Monster.com and see if there's someone looking for a <laughs> – they might already be looking for you. <laughs> But, you know, if there is a neo-Charlemagne movement um, of, of, uh, of angry, heavily armed monarchists uh, or something, you know, something I can morally get on but board they think, with. But those folks think you're their enemy because you oppose integralism. They're not going to be able to be that picky. Uh, and because <laughs> the only, first of all, first of all, Catholic weenies are not going to be the ones to survive in the hellscape. It's going to be Pentecostalists. It's, it's going to be Hartshell Baptists. It's going to be Calvinists. 
you know, they will, Catholics will be maybe 5% of the survivors and we will be relying on our Protestant friends to tolerate us. It's not going to be the uh, angry Latin mass people reading the protocols of the elders of Zion at the coffee hour after mass. Those are not going to be the people that forge the future. It's going to be steely-eyed, flinty people like like the pilgrims, like the Puritans. All right, look, I want to I want you to unpack that because there's a lot of integralists to listen to this, and when I challenge them that that they they are addled with anti-Semitism, they lose their mind. So here, you know, you implied that you implied that. Uh, Anti- no, I stated it. I stated, stated it directly. It. You stated it directly. That's true. <laughs> one said, well, reason I got t- one reason I stopped going to Latin Mass is I had enough Holocaust revisionist literature given to me already. I didn't need any more. So I, I don't mind the masses, <laughs> but I don't go to the I don't go to the coffee hour. Your bookshelf was uh-huh. filled, so now you go to Nova Sordo so you can get James Martin books. And now you know I see that. I get how that works. No, but John, it's <laughs> happened to me. I went to a Latin Mass once in Chicago. And I get chased out by a guy, and he recognized me. You're Jason Jones. You're Jason Jones. I said, I, I am Jason Jones, and this and that and the other, da-da-da-da-da. And then it just went from, like, pleasantries to I loved Bella to I need to talk to you about the Jews. <laughs> and it's like, what? It's so bizarre. Well, it's, I'm sorry. I'll, I think the explanation for it is pretty simple. And. And envy of influence. This used to be a Protestant country. The Protestants sort of dropped the ball in the 1960s. It was ours to pick up. We Catholics could have become the leadership class in America. The Catholic moment was there. But the Catholic moment drizzled down Ted Kennedy's leg and pooled in the sawdust on the floor of the bar. Catholic moment passed. We did nothing with it. There was a there was a power power vacuum. American Jews, newly educated, probably the first generation that had gone to college, they got to places like City College because places like Yale had quotas to keep them out. <clears throat> they stepped up and they became vastly disproportionately influential because they they are smart and gifted. They still have the the special gifts that God gave His chosen people, um, and some of them use them for good, and some of them use them for ill. And some of them use them just to make great comedy albums. I'll always be grateful for Don Rickles, who was my childhood hero and role model. Uh, but we Catholics, we thought it was just fine to get a cushy job with the AFL-CIO. Get a cushy job with the Knights of Columbus. Let, let all the gays who want to be priests, let them in. Let them live in palaces like the Disney princesses. They always secretly knew they, they were. Um, let the church just sort of rot on the vine. We, uh, coast along with the culture, try to straighten our hair and pass for wasps. Um, and the, the Jews decided, you know, they were going to remake the culture according to what they thought was right. Uh, according to what they had studied in their books, what they had intensely studied at places like city college, they, prov- they stepped up and provided intellectual and cultural leadership for the country while we Catholics sang Kumbaya with Father James Martin. And uh, so they deserve the influence that people complain that they have. And Catholics who look at that, instead of thinking mea culpa, why are we at 35% of the population? Why do we have influence as if we were 2%? 
And why do Jews at 2% of the population have the influence as if they were 35%? That's not the Jews' fault. That's our fault for being losers and mediocrity. Now, those are, there are people who are listening that would say to acknowledge that Jews have disproportionate influence is anti-Semitic. Um, yeah, that's stupid. It that's is stupid. Like saying, it is stupid. It's like saying it's racist to notice that West Africans tend to win marathons at the Olympics. Um, they do. Well, you it's are. Racist, is it racist to notice this fact that Kenyans tend to do really well in the Olympics? Well, I think running events. Twitter's if they're listening, they're like, "Wow, he's an anti-Semite, an anti-Semite, and a racist." Well, and the good news if is, any, <clears throat> the if anything, news, my comments are anti-Catholic. True, they're not against the Catholic faith; they're against the schlub Homer Simpson mediocrity of American Catholics and our utter failure to step up and do anything with our, the enormous infrastructure and opportunities that our ancestors carved out of nothing for us. The best email I ever received on this podcast was someone emailed me and said, I'm having trouble discerning after listening to several episodes. I, I can't, I can't understand. I can't determine. Are you Catholic? Are you a Catholic or an anti-Catholic bigot? And I just replied a one word answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen, I go to mass once a week. They have me for like an hour to 90 minutes a week. And the rest of the time, I am not in this little subculture anymore. I spent 46, 45 years in it. And I'm, you know, I have all the glow in the dark statues. I have all the Holy Trinity bike reflectors. I, I, I have all the unread copies of the secret of the rosary. I, I, I've heard all the theories about the third secret of Fatima. I'm done. I feel like I have filled out my bingo card. Well, and I got good news for the Latin mass folks. They need to start creating conspiracies. And we need the protocols of the elders of the last empire of China. Because now the Chinese, yeah. they're trying to keep them out of universities, right? They're trying to create quotas for the Chinese. There are too many Chinese. And fortunately for me, my descendants from now until the end of time will be Chinese. But the, the Chinese are having a disproportionate, the age, Asian communities having obviously a disproportionate impact in society. Why? Because they work hard, they study hard. And you hear the left complaining that there are too many Asians in elite yeah. schools. This is bizarre. It's well, that's just, one thing I want to I call out and, and praise Maisie Hirono for doing. Oh, no. She is, she is shattering the stereotype that Japanese and North Asians all have higher IQs. Maisie Hirono, just by being there, is helping to shatter that stereotype and, and revealing that they, they have idiots too. And, that's, and that, that helps to humanize them and it helps, you know, international brotherhood. Well, let me, let me I've told, I think you know this, John. I know Maisie Hirono. In really? fact, Maisie Hirono, more than me knowing Maisie Hirono, Maisie Hirono knows me. And in the 90s, I thought of her as a friend. I think she thought of me as a friend. She was wow. very level-headed. I was chairman of the Young Republicans. Then before that, I was chairman of the College Republicans. I was chief of staff for State Representative Mark Moses, who was my mentor. He was also a Jew. And, uh, uh -huh. um, and he would have me help Maisie out on things um, because I think she chaired the Labor Committee at the time. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was a committee that she chaired that uh, he wanted me to go in and just help and kind of influence for what meant a lot to my boss. Maisie, what, what struck me about Maisie was that um, 
She, she was very warm. She was very charming. And she reminds me of kind of like Rolf from The Sound of Music. It's amazing how ideology <laughs> perverts people. And I don't know if it's Trump derangement syndrome, but I know very close. I have friends who are close personal friends of Maisie Hirono's. And they say they really do not understand what happened to her. And um, it is very sad, especially for a woman coming from Hawaii, a place that was really almost like Louis, like Louisiana in its politics. Um, mm-hmm. Very tribal, very grounded, not addled with ideology. Um, what made her just lose her mind? Um, it's it's very sad to see. Um, well, I, I, I think we can explain a lot of things by the fact that people generally, 90% of them, uh, do not make their decisions based on logical syllogisms or facts. They make their decisions the way that sheep do. They feel the sheep to their left move in one direction and the sheep to the right move in the same direction, and they just move with it. Because being with the herd is the way you're safe. And so herd behavior is explains virtually all of human, 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 human action, especially in society. And herd behavior applies even more to intellectuals than it does to people who work at Cracker Barrel and Golden Corral. Because if, if, you, if you live in a trailer park or, or a small rented apartment in, in, a, in a crappy neighborhood, you can kind of be independent. You can, you can put whatever bumper stickers you want on the back of your beat up old Buick. Um, they, they really just care if you keep the slushy machine working and if you serve the eggs properly. But if you work in the intellectual area, there your opinions have to be homogenous with the people around you. And, and you need, you know, your book is not, your new book is not going to blur itself. It's not going to review itself. You need to be in accord with the spirit of the age. You need a whole support network. And so you make sure that support network, that you're on board with it. And, and then the message went out in 2016, you can't support Trump. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's going to be good on the issues. It doesn't matter if the opposition is worse. If you support Trump, we will kick you out of the herd and you will starve alone in the forest. And all sorts of people in the conservative movement who swallowed the squalid personal lives and wretched opportunistic politics of Mitt Romney and John McCain and George W. Bush, they swallowed those camels, but they strained at the gnat that was, that was Donald Trump and pretended that this was a decision of principle. And uh, these people still control far too many of our so-called conservative institutions. And they, all they care about is their golden parachute, is what their friends at the country club are going to think of them, and will they be able to get that grant so they can go on sabbatical? Will they be able to get their, mag- their, their, their worthless new book reviewed at National Review um, 
they, that hurt. That kind of hurt. Yeah, let's behavior. be clear. Their books are all worthless. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Uh, I, I, as I say about Rod Dreher, I may have blurbed and endorsed his books, but I drew the line at reading any of them. Uh, the oh, you blurbed his books in the past? Yes, he asked me. Have you? Have so, you? you know, like, do you wear a Silas or whip yourself? What have you done to <laughs> repent? <laughs> <laughs> I, I exposed him when it, when he came yeah, out as a true. never Trumper, that's when true. he came out as a never Trumper, here's what happened with Rod Dreher. He really, I mean, I know Rod Dreher since I knew him from 1989. Uh, and we were friendly up until the Benedict option came out and I expressed reservations about it. And he excommunicated me on Twitter and then started attacking and denouncing me. But, um, in 20, he has come out twice to help the Democrats. In, 20, in 2016, just before the presidential election, he told Christians in Time Magazine to stop voting Republican. That was like the whole point of the, the, the Benedict option was a, a ruse right. to suppress the, the Christian vote. Period. And that's right. Period. And, and Rod really thought Hillary was going to win, and then Christians would be in despair and, and panic, and his and his book, the Benedict Option, would become the Bible of cons- of conservatives, and he would become the leader of the conservative movement. When Donald Trump won, he was outraged that Donald wah, Trump had wah, stolen wah, his t- Donald <laughs> Donald Trumps had stolen his tiara and become homecoming queen instead. And he never forgave Trump for that. And then again, before the 2020 election, he did a column accusing Trump of unleashing demons, literal demons of racism on America when he said, send them home about Rashida Tlaib and, and a couple of the other in the, in the squad in, in Congress. He, he said that he equated Donald Trump with the Ku Klux Klan, the segregationists in the South, the Nazis, but most importantly, the guys who had bullied abroad in high school. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, it was about him. It's always about him. Like Frank Schaefer. It's always about him. If you remember Frank Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's son, all these guys that start on the right and move to the left, it always boils down to them being, they, they, like Mark Shea, I shouldn't even say his name because no one even knows who he is anymore, but they all hope right. that they thought that they were going to be the bell of the ball and we should just be happy to stay in our lane, do the best we can, do our job, right? That's right. Podcast, make movies. I don't, you know, we don't all have to be the bell of the ball all the time. And uh, but when they don't get to be the bell of the ball all the time, they throw a pity party. The but, same thing happened with David Trump. David Trump went after Rush Limbaugh back in like 2012, and I, he thought he could replace Rush Limbaugh as the voice of the conservative movement. And when he was universally mocked and, for, and, and derided for that. He reinvented himself as being on the left. I so, mean, David Frum is the biggest nitwit on the planet. What's sad is so many people on the right, I guess on the left, and maybe that's what happened with Maisie. I want to go back to Maisie real quick just to, to say this, that even when she was lieutenant governor, she was, I, you know, I could meet with her, and she wasn't addled. So to your point about, you know, when you're in the pond, so when she when she when she uh, got in that took that thirteen hour flight from Honolulu to Washington D.C., uh, I was a very lonely place, and she she had to conform, and uh, so she's just exaggerated. Um, she you know she's dancing a little too excited uh, to the music. 
She needs to just tone it but down get- a little bit. It's kind of awkward, just like Maisie. Okay, I know you just dance. Just don't be so exaggerated in your movements. Just tone it down. Everyone can see. Everyone can see the strings that control your limbs. Yeah, it's a little too exaggerated, Maisie. <laughs> it's just really sad to see what has happened to her because she's just not even happy. But anyway, go back to Rod. You know, I get so upset. You see people on the right, and with that goofy, goofy book, the Benedict Option, and it was like an enthusiasm. People would go, "Don't you love the Benedict?" I'm gonna go. It's the most disgusting book I've ever read in my life. By the way, what was supposed to be so novel about it? He said, oh, we should have a Christian subculture. Guess what? We had one for 30 years. We have the terrible movies to prove it. Yeah, we should have pregnancy centers. Oh, we have those. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? We should have religious schools. Oh, we, we have homeschool. those too. I homeschool. I've been on the board of a pregnancy center since 1994. Go away. Right. Go away, That's dude. right. But guess what I also do? <laughs> I'm a citizen of a constitutional republic. And I participate in the civil civic life of my community as I should, as a sovereign. I love it how I love it how Rod helps twice, tries to help the Democrats win national elections so they can impress Christians, and then he does this book, "Live Not by Lies," about how to survive the communist oppression that he helped bring on. And Solzhenitsyn but was I not think... one of the Bolsheviks. You know, if Solzhenitsyn had been one of the original Bolsheviks, I don't think we would have, be listen, would have listened to his novels and his prophetic warnings. He didn't help create the situation so that he could then write books about it. No, but I think that was the one book that he wrote that judged the way the ball was bouncing correctly. That's right. You got to give right. him that. You're like, good job. Good job. You, 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 he, they're he, they're dragging talk- pro-life fathers out of their homes. For nothing. Right. Good for you, Rod. You, you Because of the election, you helped Joe Biden win. Remember him sneering at anyone who questioned the 2020 election results and, and, and getting retweeted by Jim Acosta and then being thrilled that Jim Acosta was retweeting him? Whatever scraps of recognition from the most... Well, we were worst, thrilled that Joey Behar tweeted our article. <laughs> I was quite thrilled that Joy Behar retweeted our article. Remember that? Oh yeah, well yeah. If you get hate tweeted by the left, I'm proud. <laughs> yeah, we were I'm proud when, we were hate. Tell right- everybody how we were just hate tweeted by Joy Behar. That was nice. I don't. Rem- I don't remember it. No, it wasn't Joy Behar who retweeted our article on how women shouldn't go to prison who have abortions, and she called us lunatics. Oh, it wasn't Joy Behar. It was uh, Joy Goodman or something. Somebody from it, one it, of the morning shows. It was it was what it was a black it was the black woman from the View. Okay, not the incredibly irritating woman with the worst New York accent in the history of the world. Yeah, Joy so she Bayard. retweeted us. She hate tweeted us, and that was great. That was great. To right, have and when when right when Right Wing Watch singles out my episodes of the, the Eric Metaxer show, that's sort of an honor too. But Jim Acosta was praising Rod Dreher for. The, the ridicule he was heaping on evangelical Christians who were protesting the 2020 election. And Rod was thrilled that Jim Acosta, you know, who, whose IQ rarely, it goes, you know, it bubbles up near room temperature, uh, that Jim Acosta had quoted him because Rod is so desperate for a little pats on the head from our enemies. He really, really wants to be the capo in the concentration camp, in charge of dispensing toilet paper and cigarettes. Well, there we have it. All right, John, I'm, I'm going to let you go. But what is your what are you writing on this week at the stream? Well, my, my most recent article was the America is going fascist in the negative sense. 
And I hope people will go read about it to, to discover what the negative sense of fascism is. And um, I'm, I'm putting the final touches on my next book, which is entitled No Second Amendment, No First, which will be coming out around Halloween or, or a little bit before Thanksgiving. Right on. And then we, you and I have a book project together, so that's exciting. That's right. That's right. I'm excited about getting rolling on that, too. We're going to be writing a more user-friendly revision <laughs> and update of the race to save our century. You know, and a political philosophy professor at Yale told me that uh, he found our book a, a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ran it through an algorithm to see what reading level it's at, and it came back grad school. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. We're going to redo it at a high school level. <laughs> there we go. Um, now that you're not on Twitter, John, and for everyone listening, trolls included, those of you who get dopamine hits because of your hatred for John and those of you who get dopamine hits because you love John, um, how do we follow you on Getter and Gab? Uh, uh, just at Zmirak. At Zmirak. That's easy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I am headed. Let me tell you what's going on. And for everyone listening, I'm going to say it in the intro too, but Tomorrow, my organization, the Vulnerable People Project, you know, because as a conservative Republican, I hate re people of different religions and da-da-da. <laughs> we, um, we've been working very hard to bring our Afghan allies home. And there are a lot of cases that have meant the most to us. And uh, right now, at this very minute, uh, a young two-year-old boy and his aunt are preparing to get on a plane to the United States of America because the boy when he was uh, a, a year old and was in the arms of his grandmother standing next to his mother and his father waiting outside of the Abbey Gate uh, in August of last year. And the bomb exploded, killing 170 Afghans and 13 Americans. Um, the grandmother and baby got shoved to the ground and pushed back and away by the crowd. And mom and dad were grabbed by the MPs nearest them and dragged into the airport as the mom was screaming and begging to let them go, let them go and let them go out of the airport to be with their child. Uh, the MPs kept them in the airport, put them on a plane. They've been separated from their baby for a year. And after um, almost a year of keeping this child with food and with baby formula and diapers, uh, we are now getting the baby to be reunited with his mother tomorrow. And I'm going to be there for that reunion. Awesome. And uh, awesome. we've, we've um, evacuated thousands of people to lily pads, hundreds to permanent resettlement. But two of the most important have happened to us this week. There was a young man um, who was the last Afghan Jew to leave the country. The world doesn't even know about him because they couldn't. He was in a place where he wasn't safe to be known as Jewish. Uh, he just got to Canada three days ago. And we've been with him since he was in hiding in Afghanistan. And then now this two-year-old boy. So that's the reason why there hasn't been a lot of shows um, I've just been so stressed and so tired. And I ask myself, do I have leukemia? Am I sick? Why have I been so tired the past couple of weeks? And, uh, my diplomatic liaisons told me her spiritual director, she was complaining to him about how fatigued she was. Uh, the priest, she goes to confession too. And he, and she said, I don't know why I'm so tired. It's not like I do physical labor. And he said, do you not understand the emotional weight of what you and your, those who work with you are, are carrying? And I will say that um, it has been uh, a very emotionally weighty couple of weeks, and I am so glad that this two-year-old boy 
Um, it's tragic that his family had to leave the, their country. That's really very sad. And it's a two-edged sword. You know, we, we were like, oh, you're so lucky to come to America. I don't think of it that way. You know, it's a great tragedy that they had to flee their home to come to this country for safety. Yeah. Um, but I am so grateful that this boy will get to live with his mother. And, they, and she had a new, she has a newborn and she, he will be meeting his sister tomorrow. And that this boy and his That's sister sad. and his mother and his father will live together in intact, safe family. Uh, and that's thanks to the donors and well, I hope, staff of I hope, VPP. Hope you're gonna have, hope you're gonna have some video of that to share. We are, we are, and uh, we had news crews and others people who wanted to come, and the family even said they were okay with it. But I feel that they may feel so um, grateful that they would let us do anything. You know, like they would just feel indebted. Oh, if if that helps you. But I made the decision not to have news crews there, uh, film crews there. But, yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll have footage, I'm sure, and uh, photographs that will allow the family to choose that we can share. Because I did definitely want to share it with our donors. And if, the, if yeah. you go to our website, John, we did a town hall. And you can see the mom, and she tells the story. on our. It's, we, we put the town hall on YouTube. She tells the story of how we helped her family. And... Um, uh, but yeah, so it's been a it's been a really wild couple of weeks over here at the Vulnerable People Project. We we opened up our first women's medical center, and um, we're getting ready to break ground on a road to a village that had suffered greatly last winter, almost starved to death. Um, we don't want that ever to happen again. So I thought instead of <clears throat> spending tens of thousands of dollars of food, why don't we just employ the entire village to build a road mm. t- so you don't have to bring food. 28 miles by donkey that you can have taxis wow. and buses and food can get there quite easily. And if we spend that money on employing people, uh, it, it restores their dignity. They get food and they get a road. So I'm really happy yeah. about this road and we're naming oh, it great. Fatima Boulevard. Of course, oh, as a Catholic great. after our lady of Fatima, but also for the Muslims that we're going to be serving. Uh, Fatima was the daughter of Muhammad. So yeah, it's, that's what we've been up to, John. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I look forward to seeing the footage and uh, I'd be excited about talking to you, talking to you next time. Let's, let's see what, what there'll be plenty more to talk about. Unfortunately. Yes. Uh, no, it's the next episode we do together. That's for sure. And I just want to say, I am personally very happy for you. Congratulations for being kicked off Twitter. I think this is a good thing and yes, uh, it is. it's good for your mental health and bad for Twitter. So uh, I don't, I think every one of you should just get off Twitter. All of you, go to Getter, get off Twitter, period. End of story. Uh, there's no good that can come from being on Twitter. No good. Maybe it's fun or whatnot. I mean, I'm a hypocrite. I'm on Instagram. What do I watch on Instagram? Like boxing reels, MMA reels. You know, That's the only I thing I use YouTube for is uh, to go look at the videos from Save a Fox. It's a fox rescue run by this woman in Virginia, and she's adorable, and the foxes are adorable. And that's pretty much the only reason I ever go to YouTube anymore since they banned our, our friend Eric Metaxas. Well, I'm a nerd, John. This is what I did on YouTube the past. I've been on the road for two weeks. I listened to an entire semester on the, the Apology and the Credo by Leo Strauss from the University of Chicago in the 60s. Wow. Uh, it's on YouTube, and I listened to an entire semester in two weeks. And so there's some, there's some good things on YouTube. I'm sitting there, you know... I get back to my hotel. You're, you're so tired. It's, this work is so emotionally draining that my body feels like it's vibrating. 
I can't explain it. And you're so exhausted yet you can't sleep and you feel like almost your body's shaking. And you sit in the hotel room and I just, I put on this lecture series that I found. Oh, it's, it's classes from the University of Chicago in the 60s on YouTube. And it was, my son is reading the Credo as part of his sophomore year. Uh, he has to read the um, Iliad, the Aeneid, the Odyssey, Credo, um, Antigone, quite a semester for a uh, sophomore. And so I yeah. said, son, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the reading with you. And then I started just watching all of these different lectures from um, different professors uh, that, I, that I admire around the country and the world. And then I found this course from Leo Strauss from the University of Chicago in 1960. So, in the 60s. so there's great. some great stuff on YouTube. And I'm sure Twitter's the same. Um, it's just sad that, you know, you, you, it's to use a platform that views you as literal as a literal enemy. Yeah, exactly. All right, let me roll. God, God bless, and I'll talk to you soon, Jim. All right, John, thank you. All right, everyone, that was the great John Zmirak. He's on Getter and Gab at Zmirak. Follow him there. And I'm not kidding you. I got off Twitter when they kicked Trump off Twitter. And and I, I would have gotten off if they kicked any president off Twitter. I just thought when a social media company kicks the president of the United States off of Twitter, when there are known terrorists on Twitter and dictators on Twitter, uh, I'm done. I'm done. And uh, so you, I think you need to get off. Do what you want. I think you should get off Twitter. And I think you should go over to Getter. Getter doesn't sponsor the show. I'm just saying you should go over to Getter. And if you were Getter, I think you should, I should talk to Getter. I'm friends with those guys. They should sponsor the show. But who does sponsor this show is MyPillow. And I'm a prophet. I said you should get the MyPillow robe and slippers for when the FBI pulls you out of your house. So, so you could shout, use the code jonesmypillow.com and help raise money for the show. Um, well, then they take Mike Lindell's phone. Then they take a homeschool Catholic dad. Uh, they 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 take a homeschool Catholic dad out of his house. Thirty six FBI agents and SWAT raid his house because he defended his twelve year old from a violent, loud, obnoxious man assaulting them. And we're not allowed to defend ourselves. You remember when the New York Times had that article? Um, they're horrified. The conservatives said they will defend themselves from violence. They're willing to defend themselves from violence, and this is fascism. Oh, how horrible that we, we will, are willing to defend ourselves. Well, this guy defended his child, and what did he get for it? SWAT. And, and I guess he's raising a ton of money um, on one of these uh, fundraising sites too, which is great. And I think if you see it, i got to look for where it is. I'm going to support him too. But the whole point is the FBI may pull you out of your house, and you need to look good. You need the robe. You need the slippers. And you want to look well-rested. So you got to go to MyPillow.com, use the code JONES, I, we should call this the FBI special. You, get the, you should get the slippers. I'm going to write Mike on this. We need the FBI special. You get the slippers, the robes, the pillows, and the um, mattress topper. You need all of that. Why? Why do I need all of that, Jason? Well, with the mattress topper and the pillows, you're well-rested. So you're going to look good. People are going to say, this guy was just ripped out of his bed by the FBI. But he's well-rested. And look at those slippers, and you're going to be comfortable. You may have uh, plantar fasciitis. I do. I do. I'm 50. I do Muay Thai kickboxing. I weigh 240 pounds. And my feet are like, this is ridiculous. And they hurt a lot. When I wake up, I like limping around. I put on the MyPillow slippers. It's so nice. And I'm not limping anymore. And then I put on the robe. And I've told you, I think robes are creepy. But 
Uh, you like robes. You people like everyone likes robes. I don't like robes. I think, but if the FBI pulls me out, I think it is kind of cool to be standing out with the spotlights and the M16s and the neighbors looking at you and the dogs barking. And I'm wearing the my pillow slippers. I got the my pillow robe. Everyone's filming me, and they're like, "This guy looks so well rested. Look at that robe." And then I just say, "Use the code Jones." So go to mypillow.com so you too can look well rested and suave. As the FBI is pulling you out of your house. This episode is also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. Standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world when it's most challenging. I just had the privilege this week. I was in, I spoke at the Museum of the Bible. I was there with Ennis Cantor and so many other great heroes. So many, too many to name and count. And we were there to stand up uh, for those who are being persecuted because of their religious beliefs. Uh, of course, Christians. Christians are the most persecuted people in the world, but also other groups like the Uyghur, the most persecuted ethnic minority in the world. And we were there with Ennis Cantor, of course. Ennis Cantor, Freedom, the great NBA standout, who was kicked out of the league because he refused to back down, continue to advocate for the Uyghur. And if you want to stand with the most vulnerable people in the world when it's most challenging, and we do that, go to thegreatcampaign.org and you will see those are not just words. Our program, um, our program Tip of the Spear, which is about to become its own organization, has uh, we're going to spin it off in something we call VPP's Olive Grove. To, not the Olive Garden, which I call it. The Olive Grove It's where we create organizations to address very specific problems that spin off from our organization. We've already done this. It's very successful. Tip of the Spear is one we're spinning off. This program of VPP has been removing landmines, almost 1,000 already, from farms, anti-tank landmines, booby traps, IEDs. Um, we're there so farmers can farm. We are in Afghanistan building wells and water systems, securing schools from ISIS attacks. Even the government of Afghanistan, the present government of Afghanistan, has thanked us for our work in defending schools from violence. Can you imagine that? For drilling wells for building women's medical clinics, We're about to build this road. My goal is 100 medical clinics um, and 100 schools by May. This is the goal. And we can only do that with your help. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, give your best one-time gift, and if you can, please become a monthly donor. That allows us to budget because what else? We're greatly expanding into, um, we have projects coming up in Iraq and Syria for the Christian communities there in Lebanon. Um, we're looking to do a school in Mongolia, also in Ethiopia, and uh, did I just say Yemen? We're doing something in Yemen, can't talk about yet. And you're saying, Jason, how do you decide where you go? We go where no one dare go. The idea is to go to the, the, the hardest places. Why? Because what is the mission of VPP? To defend the vulnerable by inspiring solidarity and showing human dignity. So by going to these most challenging places where other larger groups dare not go, we may inspire others to go where they can go. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, and wherever we go around the world, you're there with us. And also, epic times. To stay free, you have to stay informed. Go to ireadepoch.com, use the code Jones, uh, Jason Jones, and you get your first month for only a dollar. I think the, a year is $77. All right? Until next time, it's going to be a couple of days. I just got back after midnight last night, and I have to get up at I have to get in my car at 5 a.m. tomorrow uh, because I'm heading out um, so I can be there to greet this young boy's 
and his uh, aunt as they step off the plane. And uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. You may see me on some national news shows in the coming days. So until uh, next time, probably won't be till Friday, it's the Jason Jones Show. Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Thank you.